Divine humility is shown forth in the incarnation from Isaiah 53 and Galatians 4. The eternal son grew up before us like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves, but sons and heirs through God. Amen. Over these last few weeks at Vespers, we've been highlighting Advent themes from various church fathers, reaching back into the church's rich catalog of theological reflection on the person and work of Jesus. And you probably won't be surprised to see that I've chosen St. Augustine as my church father to highlight. Really a giant in the patristic age and a theological fount from which so much of our theology flows, even, and perhaps especially, much of the theology recovered by the Protestant reformers. But tonight I want to focus less on Augustine the theologian and more on Augustine the pilgrim and Augustine the preacher to fellow pilgrims. James K.A. Smith, in his book On the Road with St. Augustine, notes that He embodied this kind of pilgrim spirit not only in his writings, but because of his own experience of life in a restless world. You're undoubtedly familiar with some of the opening lines of his confessions. You have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. These words resounded for Augustine because he found himself in relentless pursuit of that rest as it always eluded him before his conversion. In fact, if there was such a thing as the upwardly mobile in Augustine's day, he embodied it. Constantly in pursuit of what it meant to arrive, Augustine was searching for his identity, always among the intellectual elites of society. Indeed, he was so hungry for power and prestige that came with the position he was vying for that Jamie Smith notes that Augustine drank in ambition with his mother's milk. Now, if you know the story, some of that ambition, I suppose, was placed upon him, imposed by his parents, but it soon became his own. In his confessions, he says, I wanted to distinguish myself as an orator for a conceited purpose, namely, delight in human vanity. 
I promise you, you won't find a more honest uh, and, and open travel log of the human struggle for satisfaction than the confessions of St. Augustine. The great father is admitting to us that he once pursued the vanity that comes with fame and recognition. And so, in his ambition, he set out on the road from his provincial home in North Africa to Milan, a cultural and political center in the ancient world. He went there to make it, just like so many of us upwardly mobile types today. By the way, it occurs to me that Augustine's story forms the backdrop for virtually every Hallmark Christmas movie ever made, right? Like the small town kid moves away to the big city and finds no satisfaction there, so he returns home for Christmas and falls in love with the high school sweetheart. But you see, for Augustine, no sweetheart would satiate his hunger. Trust me, he tried. In his confessions, he says of his arrival at university in Carthage that all around me hissed a cauldron of illicit loves. I was in love with love. But whether it was illicit love or fame or power, Augustine found himself sorely disappointed by his upward movement. He recounts an experience that he had on the day when he was invited to deliver an address to the emperor at Milan, really a pinnacle moment in his career as a rhetorician. And he says this, this is what happens as he's going to this event. He says, my heart was panting with anxieties and boiling with the feverishness of consuming thoughts. But passing through the streets of Milan, I observed a poor beggar. Then, I suppose, with a full belly, joking and joyous, In all my strivings, I looked to arrive only at that very joyousness that the beggar had already arrived at. For what he had obtained by means of a few begged pence, the same I was plotting for by many a toilsome turning and winding. So you see, on the most important day of his life, he's ascending to the seat of power and prestige that he's so longed for, and Augustine finds himself jealous of the cheerful beggar who has nothing more than a full belly. This reminds me of an interview given by one of my own heroes in life, the great Dirk Nowitzki, at training camp in 2011, just a few months after he had won his only NBA championship. This is the thing he had worked toward all of his life, and he had Uh, He had toiled for it. It painfully eluded him at the hands of the evil Dwayne Wade just five years prior. But in 2011, as you know, the Mavericks defeated the evil empire, which this time was even more evil because it included the great LeBron James. And it was this pinnacle moment in Dirk Nowitzki's career. He had an unreal playoff run, and he just willed the team to victory. But just a few months after reaching this pinnacle, he found himself without the motivation to come back and compete in the prime of his career. He was let down. Why? Because he had made it to the top of the mountain and he saw what was there on the other side. So, what is the answer when you reach that point? 
Well, I don't know about Dirk. He hasn't published his confessions yet. Side note, that would be awesome and I would buy it. But here's what we know from St. Augustine's experience, not only in his confessions, but also in his preaching. Only divine humility can overcome human pride and ambition. Only divine humility can overcome human pride and ambition. The incarnation, as we've noted in recent weeks, represents a dramatic reversal a radical condescension on God's part to reveal himself and ultimately to redeem fallen creatures. It represents the upside-down nature of his kingdom, for the way up is always down. The road to glory comes through suffering, and the path to exaltation comes through humiliation. But not as a work that you and I could perform, No, this is not the Hallmark Christmas movie where the upwardly mobile renounces his fancy life in the city and returns home to win back the girl. Instead, this is the divine rescue mission where the divine son comes to rescue slaves and rebels who wanted nothing to do with him. Paul says in Galatians 4, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those things that by nature are not God's. That is, like Augustine, you are a road-worn traveler who was always seeking but never satisfied, always climbing but never attaining. You were a slave to your ambition. But the beauty of the gospel is that while we were slaves, God sent his son who was in very nature God, the most free being in existence, but he took the form of a servant. And he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see the dramatic reversal The divine son becomes a slave so that slaves can be made into sons and daughters. He submits to the very law that he gave and was born of a woman he created to rescue restless rebels who hated him and make them into sons and daughters who now, by the power of his spirit, can cry, Abba, Father. And it was this good news alone that made Augustine the pilgrim also a great preacher of grace. In a Christmas homily preached during his bishopric at Hippo, Augustine comments on divine humility. He says, what praises then should we be singing to God's love? What thanks should we be expressing? I mean, he loved us so much that for our sake he came to be in time, though all times were made through him. And he was prepared to be younger in age than many of his servants in the world, though he's older in eternity than all the world. He loved us so much that he became man, though he had made man, that he was created from a mother whom he had created, carried in arms he had fashioned, fed on breasts that he himself had filled, that he lay squalling in a manger, wordless in infancy, though he is the word without human elegance, would be at a loss for words." 
See, Augustine recognized what Paul is describing in Galatians chapter 4, that in some ways this is all absurd. It's unthinkable to finite minds. That the divine Son should humble himself and become like his creatures. Submitting himself not just to suffering and death, but to the radical humility that taking on flesh would entail. He calls this incalculable humility. We can't calculate it because we can't relate to it. It's the humility we confessed as our hope just a few moments ago when we said that we, at one time in paradise, were so fluent that we gave names to every living, animate creature But for our sake, our creator was lying in a manger as a speechless infant. Couldn't even say the word mama. In paradise, man gave names to every animal because God the creator himself gave him the dominion to do so. But why did we lose that paradise? Well, very simply, because of our ambition, our upward mobility. You, though you were a man, wished to be God and so got lost. But here's the good news of the gospel. He, though he was God, wished to be a man for your sake so that he could find what had been lost. In other words, and I love what St. Augustine says, that human pride pressed down on us so heavenly so heavily that the only thing that could lift us up was divine humility. Now, I wonder how much of my own restlessness would be cured by remembering moment by moment that beautiful truth. You see, we don't arrive at the end of this journey in this life. No, we continue as pilgrims. We continue to wrestle with the realities and disappointments of life in a fallen world. But the gospel, this good news of this radical divine humility, serves as a compass, pointing us homeward. The pilgrim is now oriented toward his homeland, singularly seeking it, but nourished along the way by Christ himself. And Jamie Smith in his book notes that Augustine demonstrates for us the two kinds of restlessness that exist. The one is Augustine's restlessness before he knew Christ. It's the restlessness of a constant dissatisfaction, this frantic search for home, the anxious longing for something to satisfy our aimlessness. That's one kind of way to be restless. But the other, wrought only by the humility of Christ is like the fatigue that comes from knowing where your home is, but realizing you're not there yet. It's an oriented journey. And it's a journey one does not undertake on his own. Instead, the divine son has come to lead his pilgrim people home. And he invites us to take up our cross and to follow him. And I don't know about you, but when I see him who left his throne in heaven to come to earth and subject himself to suffering and death in order to secure my redemption, when I see his downward mobility before his upward mobility, I think, 
Yeah, that's one that I must follow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord Christ, you have condescended to rescue us. We who once were slaves and rebels, were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, following the course of the prince of the power of the air, sons and daughters of disobedience, citizens of the kingdom of darkness, hating you, hating one another, hating each other. But you, the God of love, the God of light, took on flesh, and you came and dwelt among us, subjected yourself to the humility of this life, born as a baby in obscurity, subjected yourself to suffering, to temptation, to all manner of human infirmity. Grew up, lived perfectly, healed, taught, proclaimed the good news of your kingdom. And then you were murdered, crucified, put to death on a cross for our sins, buried, submitted yourself to the grave. The God of life was humbled by death. And yet you rose again, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And you have promised to return that just as sure as you came once, you will come again. And so as we look this Advent season toward your first coming, remembering it, may we look again and anew toward your second coming, hoping in it, knowing that it could be even tonight. In Christ's name, amen.